Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 130, recorded on August 11th, 2021. The Cloud Pod has how many unattended Google projects? Good evening, Peter and Ryan. Good evening. We are unfortunately without uh, Jonathan. He had some personal issues to address this evening, so uh, that was a bummer. But uh, yeah, always good to be here with you two uh, near the end of the week now. So always good. Definitely. Well, it's been an interesting week in cloud once again. Uh, up first is our friends or frenemies uh, at Elasticsearch <laughs> have decided to uh, you know, try to win the award for the worst open source project or how to prove the open source naysayers right, if you will. And that, they've done that with modifying the official Python client for Elasticsearch to not work with forked versions like OpenSearch and close the GitHub issue to comments. And not only did they make the change for an issue, they then didn't allow you to talk about it at all. Uh, one of the ones that they impacted this week was Elasticsearch-Py, which has over 200,000 downloads and is described as an official low-level client for Elasticsearch uh, and is also heavily used in the Elasticsearch DSL, uh, which is used for running the queries. Uh, if you pick up the change, uh, which you might have done automatically if you're using package management, which now you're in a bad situation, you're trying to move to open search, uh, it will now check if the database is Elasticsearch by checking the x-elastic-product HTTP header in the response, or if there isn't, it will raise the error and not function. Uh, there is a quote here in the pull request uh, from, oh, sorry, there's a quote here from one of the open source projects called Invenio uh, saying, uh, Lars Holm Nielsen says, it's disappointing to see this. You're forcing us as bystanders in a battle to choose sides. We develop an open source product that could likely easily work with both Elasticsearch or OpenSearch, and then the users can choose for themselves if they want Elasticsearch or OpenSearch. This and other behaviors from Elastic really does not give me any confidence in Elastic and what you might do in the future. And don't blame it all on Amazon. You've already changed the server license. You didn't have to make this move too. And Philip Krauss uh, from Elastic had to say, uh, Amazon OpenSearch is a different product, and while there is some shared history, there are already many differences that cause real confusion and issues. And that is all they've said on the issue. <laughs> Well, I suppose it really doesn't matter because like most of their open source offerings maintained by Elastic, they're not going to update it or respond to the issues files on GitHub anyway. So, right. I, yeah, I, I was... And they don't even answer their own support cases. So why would yeah. they answer the open source ones? <laughs> yeah, I spent uh, the majority of this week debugging issues in, in in the Logstash client or the, yeah, the client that's open source. And it's, you know, my issue was there from 2018. Awesome. Oof. Yeah, it's never good. You know, we talked about when they were doing this with the .NET license uh, or .NET client that, you know, what are they going to do about Beats long term? And so Amazon uh, OpenSearch has actually announced a blog post this week as well in response to this. Uh, you know, and their their big drive is to keep OpenSearch compatible with Elastic. Uh, and so basically they're saying AWS says OpenSearch is, of course, a Apache 2 licensed product, and they want to make it easy to migrate existing clients, connectors, and low and high level APIs uh, that will just work. And so Elasticsearch has started adding new logic to Java and Python APIs to reject connections to open source clusters or to clusters running open source distribution of Elasticsearch 7, even the ones provided by Elastic prior to the closed source uh, change, which that's dirty. Uh, while the client's library remains open source, the only, they only allow apps to connect to their commercial offerings. And to give users a clear path forward, AWS is adding a new set of open source clients that will make it easy to connect applications to any OS or uh, open source or Elasticsearch cluster. Uh, clients will be derived from the last compatible version of corresponding Elastic maintained clients. And in the spirit of openness, they plan to make reasonable efforts to maintain compatibility with all Elastic distributions, including those made by Elastic.co. Uh, forked clients include the Elasticsearch-Py, Java, JS, Ruby, PHP, PS, Perl, Hadoop, and Specification, as well as the Go, Elasticsearch, and Eland uh, connectors. 
Uh, this time, OpenSearch does not recommend updating to the latest version of any Elastic maintained client as this may cause things to break. Now, with the next few weeks, Adidas will be opening repos for all of the new client libraries in the OpenSearch GitHub organization. Yeah, I would be... I mean, like, you know they're making these changes because they're seeing things real-time. Some statistics, or they're getting some feedback from their sales team real-time. And so that gives me very little confidence in, uh, in Elastic as a company. There must be something going on in the back end because this is pretty dramatic. I just... How they've mishandled the situation where they've made Amazon look good, right? Like, yeah. that's quite a challenge. Yeah. Like, you know, Amazon, they just easily position themselves in the market where Amazon can just come in and be the good guy by, oh, look, we'll make it open source. That's cool. We'll do our own version then. And we'll, we'll, we'll even make it with work with your, your clothes thing. That's awesome. You know, like, it's just so easy. And so it's, it's, it's funny to me. Like, it's just whoever, like, it's one thing to make a single mistake, but this is a pattern now. Yeah, and it, I mean, people were originally attracted to Elasticsearch because it was an open source project. So mm -hmm. this is taking away one of the main reasons they were able to acquire the users they did. See, I just I don't get the strategy unless it's like they're pulling a ripcord right now because there's they're bleeding. I'm I'm actually really curious to see how Elastic's earnings look. Not maybe this quarter, but next quarter. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely feel like it's going to start impacting them some way, and I. I I get why they, they thought they were on the right on this, but the way they're acting towards the community is really the, the big failure. Yeah. I think that's where it's going to hurt them long-term. I think it just it causes them issues uh, in the market long-term, and that's just going to be a bad situation for them. Uh, and their stock price at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, AWS this week. Uh, Charlie Bell, who has been a veteran of AWS for 23 years and has run core services at AWS, including EC2, uh, has decided to leave the company. Uh, this is the latest change in AWS executive team as Andy uh, left to run AWS, or sorry, Amazon CEO role. Uh, Peter DeSantis will be taking over Charlie Bell's role of head of utility computing services. And Prasad Kalyanaram, and I butchered that, apologies, will replace Peter DeSantis as head of networking and infrastructure services. Uh, Charlie joined Amazon in 1998 when they acquired his company Server Technologies Group, an e-commerce transaction company that he founded after leaving Oracle. Charlie's role was described uh, in his LinkedIn as general manager of AWS services, including product definition, pricing, PLs, software development, and service operations. And Charlie also ran the most infamous weekly operations review process for AWS services. And if you talk to any developers about uh, the weekly operations review, you know, that's a, a trial by fire. <laughs> you know, they, they drill in on metrics. They want to know why your service isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, and it's apparently a very effective meeting inside AWS to get action uh, on services that are not performing at the way they expected them to do. Uh, so Charlie Bell, I'm sure we miss. I'm not sure if this is just a retirement play. You know, the, hey, he's been there a long time. He's probably you know nearing 70. Uh, it's time to retire. Or if this is you know he's upset that he didn't get the CEO role. Uh, I'm not really sure. But just saying the words, being some anywhere pretty much, no less AWS, where they're so fast moving for 23 years, makes me tired. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can think about. I'm like, man, that's that's a lot of very tired. It's a lot of work, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he deserves a break. Yeah. Well, and think about the complexity he's seen, you know, when they started out with S3 and EC2 and, you know, we talked about VPCs a few weeks ago and how they grew up and just, you know, so much has changed since he's been there. Just, you know, all of that happens over time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move to auto-scaling groups. Uh, another very old service <laughs> is getting some new tricks this week. 
which uh, are pretty cool, actually. So the first one is the new instance refresh, which now allows you to avoid replacing instances if those instances are already in the desired configuration. And they'd be in the desired configuration because you either canceled the upgrade halfway through or it failed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, when this before this, you'd have to basically uh, do a whole rollout of all 20, you know, 2,500 nodes, even if you already got through 2,499 of them, but then failed. Uh, this is very useful for an ASG refresh process for either rolling forward or rolling back. And thank you for this one. I, I do appreciate this one quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one I'm also very excited about. So one of the uh, challenges of a launch template was that you had to basically specify the new launch template and then do your instance refresh. And if that instance refresh and launch template uh, were failing, you now just failed your entire cluster. Oof. So now uh, you can support updating the launch template upon successful completion of an instance refresh. Uh, you know, so basically, it doesn't take, actually take effect until the refresh is completed and works, which is fantastic. Really appreciate this one. And then they've also given you some four new Amazon EventBridge event notifications uh, to tug into Lambda or any other functionality you want to know for instance changing. Those are instance refresh has started, succeeded, failed, or been canceled. Uh, all great statuses that you need to know if you're doing instance refresh operations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now the, the events are super handy for anything who's trying to manage a large, you know, clustered or group of servers and needing to run a thing to update instance metadata or update a database of your nodes or whatever whatever you're doing. So that's clearly they're listening to their customers and making auto-scaling groups much easier than it used to be. It's awesome. Very much needed. Yeah. Another well-needed feature, if you've uh, had any experience with AWS WAF rules for any amount of time, uh, you know that the vendors, uh, if you're using the managed ones, will update them quite often and sometimes without your knowledge. <laughs> and so uh, now they're giving the ability to version your managed rules uh, so that you are able to control which uh, rules are applied. You can then test them, maybe on a small test uh, pilot of your user population or roll back to a previously tested version that you know works. Uh, as well as when you use a version managed rule group, you can control when the new rule updates are applied to your traffic and your control. Another nice thing they do with this one is you also have the ability to subscribe to updates via SNS uh, to a managed rule. So as the vendor stages their updates to the rules, uh, you'll get an SNS notification, which you can then plumb into Slack or into an email or ticketing system, however you want to connect your SNS to your systems uh, to make you aware that things are going to be changing and so you're ahead of it. So you can actually maybe put that manual version in place before an update you're not excited about comes through. Yeah, and imagine you could even use that just to drive CI on the new rule set. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, just immediately roll it out and, you yeah. know, have it test in like a lower environment or like a subset for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, nothing. I mean, those rules can definitely, I mean, everybody wants those up to date, but it sucks when a rule like that accidentally breaks your app when they update it. Yeah, it's, not, it's never good when that happens. It's just so hard to find, right? Like you, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's, it's really difficult and it could be for any number of reasons. It could be, you know, the security team is updating a rule. and If you don't have the ability to, to easily roll back to a known config, your operational storage has got a whole lot nightmarish. Yeah. And our last Amazon story for the week, uh, CloudWatch Synthetics uh, now supports visual monitoring. Uh, and this is not what uh, you maybe think is just a dashboard in the console where you get to see that your CloudWatch Synthetics are failing. No, no, this is actually looking at your web page and comparing it to a baseline. And if that baseline actually exceeds a certain level, uh, it'll alert you that that has changed. So uh, maybe if you uh, had you pushed an update to your code out that then moved a box that shouldn't have got moved, uh, you now get alerted to that, uh, ideally. The visual monitoring compares screenshots taken during a canary run with a baseline for the visual discrepancy, uh, allowing you to view those vision, those differences quickly. And this is all powered by ImageMagic, one of the best OS open source toolkits out there for image manipulation. Uh, and there's also lots of great use cases for this around QA, 
as well as just standardized monitoring because your website might work, but not look down, might not display correctly, which is definitely one use case. But also QA, like, are you expecting that image to move? <laughs> was that something you really wanted to do? Um, I don't know, one way or the other. But my only complaint about this one right now is that there's no way to take the baseline and say, you know, hey, this section of the screen, which is dynamic content, um, I want you to ignore that, <laughs> mm. which would be my only complaint about this right now. And hopefully that comes uh, sometime in the future where we'll be actually able to uh, say this part of the page, we're going to just ignore it. Uh, but the rest of the page we care about. And if it's not looking right, uh, please alert. Mm. I would immediately set up a static page that used all my CSS divs uh, with the same template uh, just to check the divs. Because it <laughs> always <laughs> mess up the divs. And then yeah. you're like, what happened to my entire website? <laughs> Yeah, I had a joke all lined up about, you know, CloudWatch Synthetics is just, you know, maturing up so it can, you know, turn the monitoring dashboard bleeding red. But then, you know, learning more about this, you realize that how how cool this is in sense, you know, like I can think of just a number of use cases before production. And then, you know, when when maintaining an app in production, like that's a really good way to 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 monitor for changes and defects. Very cool. Well, moving on to Google, I actually have a crossover story. Uh, so oh. Google has a new histogram Ooh. feature in cloud logging to troubleshoot faster, which uses colors uh, to basically tell you things. So we'll talk about that in a second. But you actually could use this, this uh, AWS canary to monitor the histogram. And if the histogram is going in the wrong direction color-wise, you could alert on that. I just, I just thought of it. <laughs> just Rube Goldberg of monitoring, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Run synthetics on your hey. dashboard. Yeah, you know, and then if that histogram was using, you know, your Azure billing data that it's sucking into BigQuery, you know, this is all, you could you could have this thing loop yeah. around multiple times. Like we could go oh, cloud to cloud to cloud. Uh, but uh, for those of you in the GCP space who are interested in cloud logging, we'll talk about histograms now. <laughs> what was that, Peter? You're actually going to automate eyes on glass. Is what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, through, through multiple clouds. So I'll have Google's SRE look on like AWS thing, look at my Azure thing. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Fantastic. That's so great. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. This is, this is a brilliant idea. This is billions of dollars right here. How to use Google to do all your SRE needs on all your other clouds. <laughs> uh, well, Google has this new feature for you in cloud logging called histograms. Uh, they've had them for a little while, but they've added some new features to make them even more valuable than before. Uh, the first one is histogram colors. Uh, which makes it easier to view the breakdown of logs by severity by color. This allows you to easily spot an increased number of error events, for example, which, you know, have you looked at a lot of Kibana dashboards? Uh, not this week, like Ryan has. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're normally one color. <laughs> and so it is hard, like, yes, the volume looks higher, but you don't know if the volume is infos or it's errors. So I actually kind of like this one. Uh, I see why this is valuable. And then they also now give you the new pan left-right to scroll through time, allowing you to do a time warp uh, just by pushing a single arrow button on the left or right-hand side of this histogram. Uh, taking you right before the event spike because you know the spikes always happen right at the beginning of your time series. You're like 11:01, it started, but what it caused it, I don't know. Now you can hit the arrow and you can figure that out. Uh, you can now zoom in or out on the time series, so you can you know zoom into the second or you can zoom out to multiple days, weeks, months, whatever. As well as now, if you see a spike, you can just double click on that directly and run right to it with the scroll to time feature, all available to you in the histograms. Which is, uh, you know, all these features seem pretty basic to me from a reporting perspective, but if they weren't there before and now they are, I could see why this is much more needed fast. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, I have spent a lot of time looking at logs and, and dashboards this week, unfortunately, not for good reasons. And, you know, so this is you know, hitting me at just the right time. 
And, you know, there's nothing more complicated or awkward than adjusting your time series. I don't know if it's like a common React library or or module, but the little calendar thing where you, you click on one and it populates the field, but it never gets the end date correctly. So you got to redo <laughs> it and then it airs out the whole thing. I would much rather just hit a hit a button and go over to the left a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that'd be nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> just let just go that way. <laughs> oh, I need the data I need isn't in this in this time series. Let me go rerun my Athena query that now is yeah. gonna have to, you know, add five minutes and then you know, twenty minutes later my <laughs> Athena query yeah. returns and you're like, great. <laughs> didn't go back for yeah. So I I, yeah. I appreciate this. I'm I'm down with this. Yeah. Cool. Uh well, uh Google has also released private service connect now in general availability. Uh, for those of you familiar with AWS, Parlance, these are VPC private endpoints <laughs> now available to you inside of Google. Uh, with Private Service Connect, Google has adopted a service-centric approach to their network, and Private Service Connect allows you to create private and secure connections from your cloud network to services like cloud storage or Bigtable and third-party services like Elastic, Mongo, and Snowflake. Uh, these service endpoints in your VPC provide private connectivity and policy enforcement all through an e- uh, internet or IEN, sorry, attachment. This avoids the need to negotiate IP address boxes, mutually agree on policies, or set up those pesky, pesky VPNs, uh, which is all good. And since, uh, you know, we already gave Elastic enough uh, time today, I have a quote from MongoDB, the other terrible uh, open source company. (laughs) And MongoDB's partnership with Google is an integral part of our strategy to support modern apps and mission-critical databases and to become a cloud data company. Private Service Connect allows our customers to connect to MongoDB Atlas on Google Cloud seamlessly and securely, and we're excited for customers to have this additional and important capability. Andrew Davidson, VP of Cloud Product at MongoDB. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of companies are moving their services into the cloud, and a lot of security uh, engineers are restricting outbound access um, or, you know, tightly controlling egress and and so it's you know these things have to happen. These things are absolutely needed. Um, to keep them secure and you know allow those companies to, to sell sell their services. It's a good catch up feature. Yeah, mm-hmm. good catch up feature. It is a great catch up feature. Uh, speaking of another catch up feature, <laughs> GKE uh, has added some new capabilities. And because GKE is Kubernetes, you of course would want to then know where those Kubernetes pods and services are running. And do you do that typically with service discovery? And Google, a few months back, released Service Directory, a managed product that allows you to maintain an inventory of services in one place. Uh, to use this, though, in the past, you had to set up orchestration code, which who wants to write YAML orchestration code, uh, to register your products and services inside of the Service Directory. And so Google's got your back this week with the ability to automatically register and unregister your GKA cluster in the Service Directory without having to write orchestration code. That's because you just had to specify some parameters in a YAML file still, but this is not you orchestrating yourself. <laughs> so it's still... Requires some writing, not a lot. Uh, in service directory, services can advertise themselves to other services with both GKE and elsewhere. Uh, and as we talked about in the launch of service directory, it's tightly integrated into cloud DNS, making it easy to access all of your services through a simple DNS name that are all auto-published automatically into the service directory, which is great. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge pattern of people deploying too many services onto a single cluster just so that you can easier manage the service discovery aspect of those components. And so, uh, and so this is a good uh, a good way to alleviate that pain where you can sort of have a, a more sane sort of split of services on, on a cluster. And so this is nice. Well, and since Google charges you for every GKE cluster you set up after the first one, this is a great way to get more money. Mm-hmm. Well, well done, Google. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you are looking to save money and you have some proliferation of projects, which... Yeah, this is the anti-pattern of uh, AWS accounts that I hadn't thought about before until today. 
so in, of course, AWS parlance, because you have to set up a whole VPC and a whole uh, network and a whole account and you need a credit card, it's, it's a bit difficult to set up an AWS account. And so a lot of companies uh, you know, have that all done by a centralized team. But in the world of Google, creating a project is very, very simple. And so that may lead to a situation where you have uh, a lot of cloud resources, including entire projects that have been forgotten. So sad. Uh, not, only, not only can such unintended resources be difficult to identify, but they also tend to create a lot of headaches for product teams down the road, including unnecessary waste and security risks. Does Google forget about them? Does Google forget to charge you? Does Google forget to charge you for that? <laughs> no, no, they remember to charge you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they do not forget to charge you. I guarantee it. But no, that's this is probably how they kill you know kill by Google works. They just you know they're projects that are not doing enough work or not, not making enough revenue. They just kill them. So that's how it works. Uh, but to help help you prune your idle cloud resources, Google is giving you unattended project recommender, a new feature of Active Assist that provides you with a one stop shop for discovering, reclaiming, and shutting down unattended projects. Uh, with actionable and automatic recommendations, you no longer have to worry about wasting money or mitigating security risks presented by your idle resources. Using ML, which of course it does, it identifies with a high degree of confidence projects that are likely abandoned based on an API and network connectivity, billing, usage of cloud services, and other signals. Uh, and there's a quote here from Adeline Villette, cloud security officer at Decathlon, uh, which is a French sporting goods retailer. After a thorough test of this feature and the validation of our CISO, we ended up deleting our first 775 projects, and no one complained. A great help to improve our security. Next step for us will be to operationalize it at scale and implement a company-wide policy for unattended resource management. Wow, 775 project deletion isn't at scale. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's not scale for you guys? That's, I mean, you're a sports <laughs> retailer in France. Like, what, how much? <laughs> how many projects do you need? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I have a new hobby every six months, and that starts to add up fast. So, like, I can see it. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I can see just my bad, you know, code, API code just doing a loop and causing 775 <laughs> projects from being spun up. So, I mean, like... There's lots of ways you could do this. I, I could understand how it could happen. Uh, but yeah, I guess I, I it just, you know, the fact that this is a problem for Google and probably for Azure too, uh, you know, it's not something I thought about before. Where, you know, Amazon account sprawl is a problem, but it's not typically... So I don't know of anybody who has 775 AWS projects. But I'm sure yeah. somebody. What? Oh, no. I mean, 700 accounts? I don't think that's all that unreasonable. But it's unreasonable. About I don't, trying to... But it's a very small percentage yeah. of AWS yes. customers. Sure. Yeah, and you know that's I think that's time to market too. Um, as you know, it used to be sort of a one mega account to rule them all, but yeah, I mean, compare this to to closing down an AWS account where you have to sacrifice your firstborn and it has to yeah. be a solstice. Uh, and you know, like it's it's this is awesome that you can just sort of you know it's recommending it you know that you shut it down, but then it just it's a one click action, and then all of a sudden you saved a bunch of money, um, which is. Yeah, I mean, very anti-Amazon, which I still think I'm paying for NAT gateways and, and accounts places that I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, when you when I just look at the the model around a project is isolated from an API standpoint, but can be on the same network as other projects, and you can create them and delete them very easily. Um, I love that model. That's the one piece of AWS that drives me nuts. Yeah, a hundred percent. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, 
Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. You can now troubleshoot your GKE apps faster with monitoring data and cloud logging. Uh, making it easy to get GKE apps uh, troubleshooted is always difficult, especially with contextual cloud monitoring data accessible right from cloud logging. And with this new capability, you can easily see the relevant pod, node, and cluster events, metrics, alerts, and SLOs right from the log line itself in GKE. Additionally, the data loaded for a specific log entry is scoped to the Kubernetes resource, which saves you valuable time on investigating an app error. Now, whether you start troubleshooting with monitoring, logging, or GKE, like in this example, you have the observability data at your fingertips from Google. Which I, I do appreciate that they're giving you three different ways to get to the same amount of data, uh, depending on how, what your context is. Because there's you know, people who understand the app side, they understand the logs. And then there's you know, people who understand the system side from a monitoring and API performance perspective, they're looking at the monitoring data. And there's people who just understand Kubernetes. And so giving them the ability to jump from their context directly into the data is super valuable. Yeah. I think I'd need to use this like hands-on to kind of understand it. Cause when I read through this, it just feels like it's dimensions. And so it's, you know, the, the existing data, the same data is just now dimensioned by more, more artifacts. And so like when I read through this, I don't see it as a, a giant, you know, advantage. It's nice. It's a convenience. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think I it's, it. again, it's all about context and where you're coming mm-hmm. from. It is the same data, but you know, it's the data from the context you understand. I think that's important. You know, when I I'm debugging an app, I just I you know it's like Neo in the Matrix. I just see it unfold you see it and it yeah. comes in green things from the sky, and yeah, you, you see the code maybe, streaming across your screen. As, mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. I just don't need this. Maybe <laughs> I think there are people who do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, my application's still very broken. Just by the way, I can't fix anything. <laughs> I'm sure you know for teams who break out that the app team versus the platform team, it just makes it super easy to create dashboards and other things for different specific groups so that you just see what they need to see. Mm. Yeah. Being able to quickly tie a log to a Kubernetes node is helpful too. Because yeah. It can be kind of a nightmare trying to, you know, you have to figure out which pod is not working properly and which node. That's kind of terrible. So, <laughs> there's definitely value here. Well, moving on to Azure with its questionable value. <laughs> <laughs> zing! Sorry, sorry Zing. <laughs> that wasn't me, Microsoft. That was Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have value. I just... <laughs> I was annoyed by them this week, that's all. Uh, there are several new uh, Azure automation improvements coming, uh, which is a weird way to announce something. So, you know, they're not, not in preview, they're not beta, they're just, they're coming. And so they're going to tell you about them, which is great. Uh, and for those of you who are like, what's Azure automation? I'll tell you. Uh, it's a cloud-based automation and configuration service that supports consistent management across your Azure and non-Azure environments. And it's comprised of several components. Uh, process automation, which allows you to orchestrate using a graphical, or PowerShell, uh, and or a Python runbook. Uh, configuration management to let you collect inventory, track changes, configure desired state. Uh, update management to assess your compliance with patching and schedule updates, installation of patches. And then uh, several shared capabilities like RBAC, global store variables, credentials, certificates, and connections, and as well as flexible scheduling, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's heterogeneous for Windows and Linux, as well as Azure or on-premise, or I imagine it probably work in another cloud. Uh, so I can summarize that down to you as SSM for Azure. I was just going to say. With a better name, with a much better name, though. So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, some <laughs> common scenarios you may use automations for are to write runbooks, configure your VMs, retrieve your inventory, monitor your systems, and govern them, as we all like to do. Bind them mm-hmm. together. 
nice. the new things that are coming to Azure uh, Automation that you might be excited about, first up is Azure AD support, which allows you to add Azure AD as an auth source and remove dependencies on certificates, and enables you to meet your stringent audit and compliance needs and not use local authentication. Which is that that <laughs> Azure had the you know audacity to publish a product like this that doesn't use AD, it blows my mind. So they, yeah. Local auth was their default launch model for this. That just is crazy to me. Uh, but it's coming. So if you've looked at Azure Automation and are like, I can't use that because it doesn't use AD um, or certificates are hard in Windows, which they are, uh, you know, this is coming for you, which I'm sure you'll be happy about. Uh, the next one is a new hybrid worker extension for allowing you to customize your agents, uh, which is basically means you can add easy ways to onboard Azure and non-Azure machines without all the pesky manual work they had for you to do, as well as provides you governance at scale through policies and templates uh, across your workers. And it looks like you can also you know, specify something like, hey, not only do we need to have this agent on here, we also need to have you know, Azure logging and Azure monitoring and those sort of things. You can specify all of those things uh, through the hybrid worker extension. Uh, support for PowerShell 7.1 is in development, enabling development and execution of runbooks, which, you know, who would have, who would have thought that you know, Microsoft would support PowerShell and a new version <laughs> of it? <laughs> and then my favorite announcement, all of them, Azure support for high availability offering uh, for Azure automation, enabling uh, will get you higher reliability and resiliency to handle zone-wide outages of your runbooks and other configurations, which I love paying for a managed service that I then have to make highly available and resilient on my own. I always yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's not cool. I don't like that. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's because they the execution happens off of servers that you run in your VPC, uh, but that's not well explained. In this, yeah, uh, in I mean, this blog I, post. I'm sure there's a good reason for it. I'm sure it's isolation, you know, from me, from other customers, and you know, there's there's things. But yeah, you, you do sort of want to hand those types of things. You do sort of want like the service to handle that. Yeah, but for people who are running right today a bunch of stuff on Azure and can super benefit from these features, I probably bet they don't want to wait for automated high availability before they get access to all the rest. So I got to go with uh, uh, release early and often and side with Microsoft. I will agree with you there. I would, I would roll this out even in, you know, without the multi-region support, just because the automation that it powers is, has way more benefit than the risk of a, you know, a giant outage. Preventing me from, I don't know, you know, temporarily being able to audit my machines, temporarily being able to work as yeah. deployments. Like, yeah, I think that that's a good point. All right. Let's move on beyond Azure Automation, which is always, you know, fun. Again, PowerShell 7.1 support, Ryan. I know you're, you're super jazzed about that. You know, I'm, I have PowerShell installed. I, I know how to write in it. I use it every once in a while. Only when I have to, granted. But, you know. <laughs> do, you, do you mix it with NuGet? Uh, you know, if I if I was actually developing software that I needed to package up, I, I would most likely it would be, um, you know, binary package up with Nugent that I then managed using PowerShell. But I don't use any of those tools. Do you use a Softy Nugent? Nugent? Not Nugent. 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 Uh, like, Nugent. I'm think, yeah. Nugent. I'm thinking yeah. like Baby Ruth. I have to Nugget. stop myself from saying Nugget for some reason. I always want to pronounce <laughs> it as Nugget. Yeah, it's, it, it, that one's a tough one. I don't, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not my favorite naming of a service. Nougat. It's so perfect. Nougat. But like, you know, the, the problem is new to me, which I don't really think is a G-N-U. It's not how it's spelled. But it's also very tightly tied to Linux. And so it's like, you know, why are you calling it Nougat, which is, causes confusion, uh, other than Steve Ballmer. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I questioned it. I thought it was kind of like a cool way of spelling N-E-W. Eh, maybe. 
I thought it had, I mean, I, that was clearly the context, but I thought it had another Windows like N sort of tie-in as well, but I don't know. I just tie it to Baby Ruth directly and NuGet. I'm just really happy that they can, you know, they, didn't they continue the, the, the sort of joke or the, the theme with uh, chocolatey and nougat and exactly that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm always, I always like that. Like I've always really liked chef and they're, they're taking the, uh, blanking on the word right now, but you know, the chef and knife and cookbook yeah. and, you know, like, and so nougat and chocolatey, like same Thursday. And I, I love it. I'm here for that. <laughs> Things should be more fun. Yeah. So yes. I, I'm, I'm I'm doing real-time follow-up here on the Wikipedia page. And so, uh, Nougat, uh, which is pronounced Nougat, as uh, Peter mentioned, uh, is apparently a package manager designed to enable developers to share reusable code, which you guys already knew. Uh, The Outer Curve Foundation initially created under the name NewPack uh, in 2010. And since introduction in 2010, Nougat has evolved into a larger ecosystem, and Microsoft now owns it, uh, which is interesting. And then another product, which I actually, I've heard of, but didn't know it was connected to Nougat, uh, is Chocolatey, which is the Windows Package Manager uh, installer, which is made by Chocolatey Software, uh, which is a command line interface to actually get to your new bit, new bit packages, uh, which I had not realized uh, was all tied together. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've used all of it with PowerShell for bootstrapping Windows boxes. Mm-hmm. No, I've introduced lots of automation to uh, system administrators who wanted nothing to do with both those two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It says here the the name the chocolatey name is an extension of a pun of nougat because everyone loves chocolatey nougat. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Baby Ruth. All right, let's get this show. Let's get this out of the rat hole. Let's move. Yeah. Let's, let's move <laughs> no, back let's on. stay for a little while. Let's wade in the wade in the warm water we've created. Move on. Move on to crepes and, and yeah. flan or something like whatever. All right. For listeners of the CloudPod, you know that I have no love for Microsoft Active Directory, which is why I'm excited to tell you about the leading cloud directory platform, JumpCloud. JumpCloud makes it easy to solve today's IT challenges by unifying device and user management through a single pane of glass, enabling you to securely manage your users and devices and perform common tasks like onboarding and offboarding remote workers. With JumpCloud, you no longer need to implement an on-premise Active Directory infrastructure or additional tooling to scope a user's access, and you can ensure that the user is coming from trusted devices and networks. Enabling JumpCloud Zero Trust Solutions improves the security and compliance of your network, ensuring users have access only to the services they need when they need them. To start your organization's move to a modern, secure hybrid work model, try JumpCloud for free today at cloud.jumpcloud.com slash the cloudpod. That's cloud.jumpcloud.com slash the cloudpod. All right, well, Azure this week is introducing global disaster recovery for you via Azure Site Recovery. Uh, which is, of course, an automatic way to manage your applications and make them recover in different regions. Uh, for those of you who are like, hey, they've already had this forever, uh, they did. Uh, you're 1,000% correct. But apparently, it did not support uh, crossing intercontinental regions. So it would work between uh, multiple U.S. regions, which is you know, probably why Asia has eight of them, uh, as well as you know, if you're in Japan, there's multiple regions, it's great, uh, which was great until you know, they had regions where they only had one uh, data center, which then caused problems. Then in 2020, they gave you zone-to-zone DR, which allows you to address an in-region DR need. And then for the companies that needed a true region-to-region across intercontinental boundaries, uh, they now give you today global disaster recovery, uh, Azure Site Recovery, all supported by Azure's Backbone Network, and you can fail over at any time. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I do think we talked about that in the announcement of, I guess it was probably the 2020 region-to-region ability. Um, 
you know, like it was limited, but it was still a giant improvement over not being able to fail over. And so this is just a continuation of that. Yeah. But I thought they were going, the other, I thought they were going from a very broad angle, like region to region, cross country, you know, cross intercontinental. And then they went region, region inside. And then, you know, but no, no, it's actually going the other way, which is kind of the weird part. But yeah, hey, here we go. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that is it for new news this week. Peter, I'll let you take on the lightning round. All right. Let's start with AWS Cloud9. Introduces new features to browse CloudWatch logs. S3 and use EC2 instance profiles. Isn't Cloud9 an IDE? What does what does that have to do with any of those? <laughs> so the developers, it's all about the new hotness, and the yeah. developers don't like context shifting. So you yeah. want to keep all your development tasks. So I just wrote this code and it doesn't work. I want to look at the logs all in one place, and I make fun of that. Except for I'm slowly becoming a comfort of it because it's really awesome. <laughs> and then you need the EC2 instance profiles, right? So you. you automatically have access to those resources, right? You're man- managing the permissions using that profile. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We are also announcing Amazon CloudWatch cross-account alarms. So I can set up the alarms all to go to one account and then I ignore them. Awesome. <laughs> Funny enough, I thought of the other way around. I was like, this is how security is going to harass me now. They're going to have all the accounts send it directly to my pager. Horrendous. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I love that you said pager. Do you really have a pager? I mean, pager duty. I mean, like your yes. I don't have a pager. Pager, right? I mean, who has those? In yeah, but I mean, it it it's standing. The term is going to stand the test of time now. So great. Oh yeah, for sure. Moving on, AWS Systems Manager Ops Center launches operational insights to identify duplicate items and event sources with unusual activity. This is for when that one alarm that shows up and then turns into seven alarms, and turns into twenty-seven alarms, turns into a lot more alarms. Finally, like it's just the one thing that went wrong. I changed the security right. group. Yeah. This is how I'm going to fix the issue I just mentioned about security page. I mean, I'm just going to send them through this to identify the duplicate pages from security and then activate it. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I like it. And then uh, Justin would really like me to read that one again because he stuck it in the notes twice, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Not gonna fall for it. Uh, so I was just trying to. I was just trying to give you a joke because, yeah. like, you know, the jokes write themselves. I'm like, this one writes itself. I can give this to Peter, and he's gonna love it. I was just trying to help you out. <laughs> oh, I get it because it's duplicate items. Yeah. No, I'm not gonna do it. See, I thought he was trying to like do an early angle for the lightning round point. I thought it was, I just want. Know. I just thought Justin wanted to prove to the world that I don't read the notes before we start recording. No, I mean we haven't <laughs> we haven't messed with you in a long time. It's like no, we knew that. We've known that forever. It's <laughs> not new. <laughs> and then I, I mean, I, my joke with him would have been like, and this is how this is how Op Center can help you identify duplicate items as you write it again. But I mean, you didn't go there, so it's fine. It's all, it's all good. Sorry. <laughs> now, why don't we enable auto approval of change requests and expedite changes with AWS Systems Manager Change Manager? So finally, auto approval of change requests—something I've been asking for since forever when I didn't really understand why we needed to approve things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, when you can work this into a workflow where you're managing risk, I guess this will make sense. But, you know, like, why, why even have the change request and the change approval right. if you're just going to auto-approve it? Yeah. Robert, they should, they should, if I get to name this product or this feature, I'm naming it Rubber Stamp. <laughs> <laughs> they, it, they, it's a missed opportunity with that, too. Yeah, this is yeah. terrible. Whoever is in charge of System Manager and... Their, their product names needs needs to be like held accountable. This is ridiculous. Yes. I mean, it is, it's HR automation, right? 
<laughs> but with auto approval, which I love. Auto approval. Yeah. yeah. When is the point? Oh, because I, I can I point this to... at a change management process. It does approval is, is the the controls to state that you have a process, not oh, how man. good it is. And so this. Well, is... and, the, and the thing is, is if you do a change, if you're sophisticated in your change management, you can identify the risk of the change and certain risk threshold or business usual changes. You can just auto approve those. Right. Um, but you know, most companies aren't that sophisticated. They just run these really laborious little cabs yeah. that meet every day and, and review changes at nauseum. You know, the people in the cab have no idea about the change that the engineers are actually trying to make and has no ability to actually manage the risk yeah. or identify the problem. And that's only if the steps in the change are are accurate, which accurate. they're usually not. <laughs> so, Correct. Yeah. I hate change processes and live in breathe them every day. That's why I like change management when you move it left to be part of your pull request. Yes. And like the, I am, you know, two people review it. That's my change approval done. process. And yeah. two people signed off on it. We're good to go. It's so Ooh. brilliant. And it's documented. Yeah. And it, yeah, everything about that system is so perfect. Uh, Amazon RDS proxy can now be created in a shared virtual private cloud, aka VPC. I'm just sad that the shared virtual private cloud is not dead yet. They hadn't announced anything for it in a while, and I was like, yes, the, the shared virtual private cloud, they've realized is a terrible plan, and then they announced this, and I'm like, oh, you people. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a great plan when it was like, aha, this is going to fix the problem with that Google solved by allowing multiple projects to join the same network, and then uh, everyone who tried it said it doesn't work, so I didn't even investigate it. Yeah, it's too limiting. It's, it's you and yeah. some sharp edges. Yeah, some yeah. really sharp edges that are one-way doors. And, you know, the reality is just you're not really sharing the network. You're carving out pieces and, and delegating responsibility of the network. But stuff still can't talk to other stuff necessarily and without heavy orchestration. So what's the point? Yeah, poo-poo. Yeah, no mm-hmm. good. I think it can now write query results in Parquet, Avro, o- ORC, and JSON formats. Uh, Peter, I'm going to need you to roll for Constitution, please. Uh, constitution check. <laughs> I don't get it. It's a DNT. Dean, yeah. Oh, yeah. The nerds get it. I'm in. Yeah. I remember. I remember, but I was young when I had to play DnD. I was like ten years old, and then the older kids would always they would pretend like they're rolling to see who the the bad guy, the monster attacks, but it would always be me. Because then I would get upset and cry, and they would laugh at watching me cry when my guy died. It's very, it was a very traumatic experience. Yeah, actually, I, I think we're having a breakthrough <laughs> on, on, on today's edition of uh, Younger Child Syndrome. <laughs> exactly. Blame my CEO for that. Yeah. Even the words "had to play D and Yeah, I love it. <laughs> now, I mean, now that I know that D and D is some some regressed pain there. Yeah. I, wish, I, regret the, I regret the joke. Now we're, yes. we're going to have to, <laughs> now we're just going to have to get together and play D&D. Although my favorite was that we found the best use, you know, the little characters, the little mm-hmm. like, characters over there. Little figurines, yeah. The best way to carry those around was in a, in the bag that uh, Crown Royal bottles come in. So you see <laughs> kids just walking around with a Crown Royal bag. It's great. Nice. Yeah. Those were great bags. They were. I, I still, I, st- I still have a few actually. Yeah, <laughs> they still sell them. Yeah. If you buy a bottle of Crown Royale, yeah. you still get that purple bag. Uh-huh. That's awesome. People would riot in the streets if that got ended. Oh yeah. yeah. I think it's a Canadian company, so they'll never end it because yeah. they're too nice. Exactly. All right, introducing seventy-nine new resource types in the Cloud Formation Registry, and the seventy-nine more things I'll never look at. Yep. Yeah. Never, never once. Terraform for the win. How about more announcements? Let's announce new AWS Wavelength zones in Chicago, Houston, and Phoenix. 
I mean, they announced that for Houston, huh? I guess that's for Reinforce. Yeah. Or just, you know, everywhere where it's like balls hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chicago, Chicago's not balls hot right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's August. It's more, yeah, it is. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. It, yeah, it might be. It's more muggy there than anything. Yeah. Houston and Phoenix are, you know, Phoenix are dying of the heat. Houston, you're dying of the humidity. Mm-hmm. Chicago, you're dying of the, of the bugs mm-hmm. <laughs> at this time of year. All right. This, this one, by the way, is completely up in the air. Amazon S3 on Outposts now supports sharing across multiple accounts. <laughs> this is such a weird announcement because like an Outpost in my data center now has to be shared across accounts for them to have S3 access. Like, oh, like you start, Outpost starts getting real complicated real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I can tell here. Well, it's, it's, you know, it goes, it's, you know, you want your thousands of dollars of rack, but you want your compliance too. So you want that to be separate, separate accounts and have, don't give the developers any access to it. I mean, it makes sense. That sounds horrendous. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not into it. Yeah. That's the end of the lightning round. Balls hot wins it. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I told you it was close. <laughs> Ryan's coming back. Ryan, yeah. Ryan's tied up with Jonathan. That's right. It means he's, yeah. only, he's only four off of my pace. So. Well, and if I, if I keep sabotaging different elements of Jonathan's life so that he can't make the recording, you know, it's just, yeah, a shoe in for win. win. Yeah. Between that and crashing Justin's machine tonight, you are uh, you're on, you're killing it. Yeah, well, he got back a little a little sooner than I thought. So you know, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> work harder. Yeah. You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose power next week. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That D D that D and D joke I thought was slayed. So bummed. Should have should have should have done some research in advance. Didn't count on didn't count on the childhood trauma. Yeah, on that. <laughs> that was a good one. I, you know, looking back, maybe Definitely. I made the wrong choice, but it's too late now to turn back. It's okay. No, no, I, it, well won by Ryan. It's, <laughs> it's just my sense of humor is so like middle school. It's pathetic. <laughs> All right. Well, things are coming up once again here in the cloud space. Uh, but first, one thing is not coming up, uh, and that is Reinforced 2021. Uh, so they released that new wavelength zone for Houston, and then uh, apparently they canceled Reinforce. So. Uh, unfortunately, that is all tied to COVID-19. Uh, you know, Delta variant out there, the numbers just don't look good. Houston, of course, being Texas, means they don't care about vaccines or masks. And so I think Amazon made the wise choice to cancel that event. Uh, and so they are reinforced. You know, they've just canceled it completely. Uh, they did already schedule, of course, the summit online on top of it. Uh, and so it makes you kind of think maybe they already thought this might be what they'd have to do. Um, I also don't know what demand was for the event. Uh, <laughs> for all you guys know, I wasn't going because it's in August in Houston and I don't go there. Uh, but uh, if you did buy a ticket, you will be issued a full refund of your registration fees uh, via your original payment method within the next five business days. Uh, so you've already got an email from Amazon. Uh, you know this, so I'm not surprising you. But if you were thinking about going to reinforce, I'm sorry, too late. Yeah, yeah, they had to. Yeah, I think they had to too. I, I, I think reinvents now at risk too. Yeah, oh, 100 percent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as well as it should be. Like the numbers don't look good, especially you know, like. Can you imagine being in that crowd for 40 minutes trying to get out of the, uh, of the keynote shoulder to shoulder with 5,000 people? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Or go to to the replay party and be in those tents. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things that aren't great about it. So, you know, this, I think is just the beginning of a bunch of cancellations for fall conferences. Mm -hmm. I think that may be coming down the pipe. Google cloud next, we already said went virtual, of course, October 12th, 14th. Um, and then, so, you know, if you were excited about Reinforce, I'm sure those announcements are getting swung over to the AWS Summit online. 
Uh, we will do predictions. I've decided since this is a you know we haven't done it in a while. So next week we're recording predictions uh, for that. Yeah, it's gonna be your homework. Gotta, yeah. <sighs> I'm so terrible at these. Okay, I know. <laughs> Layer seven egress. Oh wait, <laughs> can't do that one this time. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure it'll be great stuff. Uh, but yeah, next week we will we'll record that uh, and get that out before hopefully before the uh, conference or right around the same time the conference travels. Uh, but if you're looking for other events to do, uh, the State of FinOps uh, update is coming up here August 19th. Uh, that is going to be next week when this episode drops, or right after this episode drops. Uh, and that'll be dealing with data transfers, uh, adopting the FinOps, getting organizational buy-in, and waste reduction for mountains versus null hills, uh, borrowing from Joseph Daly's post, which sounds quite interesting. Uh, the event starts at 7.30 a.m. for networking and icebreakers uh, and wraps up by 10.30 a.m. Uh, after the keynotes and the panels. As well, it is on August 20th. It will be the second annual International FinOps Day, which was declared by the foundation itself that they're going to have FinOps Day. So, yeah, second one. Good for them. I appreciate it. Uh, apparently, they have over 4,000 active practitioners now in the FinOps community, uh, which we are part of here at the FinOpsPod. Uh, at least all of us are, I think. And so, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we will be there probably on August 19th checking out uh, some of these conference topics as they're always good every month. And then, of course, uh, we have Google Cloud Next, which we mentioned, SNCC Conf coming up October 5th through the 7th, which is virtual for all your security people, or SNCC Conf, or however we, we still haven't figured out how to call it yet. And then, of course, KubeCon is coming up October 11th through the 15th, followed the following week by HashiConf October 19th and 22nd. All virtual, of course, for those, uh, which means they're free, which is always the best way to mm-hmm. go to a conference, in my opinion. And then September 2nd is AWS Storage Day, which I'm sure they'll announce all kinds of amazing awesomeness for S3 EBS. Uh, and all the other storage capabilities at AWS available for you. And that is it for the Week in Cloud. Have a great week, you guys. Take it easy. Bye, everybody. And that is the Week in the Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Jump Cloud. Check out our website, the home of the Cloud Pod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag thecloudpod. 